Well, turn in your Bibles to uh, Genesis 22. We're continuing our study of the patriarchs, and we're seeing it's the book of Genesis, four great men, and we're really focusing on the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, okay? And so there's a lot there, and the goal, of course, is to know it and apply it and those kind of things. First five lessons, and we're almost through with the first five lessons, but the first five lessons deal primarily with Abraham. And there are a lot of things that Abraham does, which is pretty amazing. And we last time we saw that God actually promised him a son. He did it the wrong Long way, but God came to him and said, "You're going to have a son." And he was, you know, he was like 89, and Sarah was, uh, excuse me, he was 99, and Sarah was 89. And and then we even saw the birth of the son. It was just so amazing. Well, tonight, I think to me, now look at this passage, and I think that what if God asked any of us in this room to do what He asked Abraham to do? I, I, if you don't know, we're going to get to it in just a second. But I, I mean, I look at this and I go, I just, I just don't see how that's even possible uh, for us. I mean, I just think about it. We don't think about a test. M- most people don't like tests. We call this test, but they're really quizzes. They're not like a test test. They're just short stuff, and you already know all the answers and everything. And But sometimes in our lives, we are faced with tests. Like, we face tests daily. Sometimes there is actually a test if you're in school and final exams or a job interview or a big project or when you had to tr- learn, If you were you afraid when you were 16? Could you parallel park if they, uh, you know, if you had to get, you know, parallel park to get your driver's license? I mean, just all those things that are tests, and and they come into our lives. Well, this evening we're going to see that Abraham faces the biggest test of his life. And let me just say this: it's not only the biggest test of his life; it'd probably be the biggest test of any life of any of us. And we, we've seen that he's done okay. I mean, and, and there's sometimes like think about this: he lied, he failed, he lied about Sarah, he lied about Sarah twice, and then but he's passed the test because he was willing. He left his home and his family to go to this promised land. He's willing to separate from Lot. He was willing to remove Ishmael. I mean, he's he's really done all the things that he's supposed to do. And um, S. Lewis Johnson was a professor at Dallas Seminary before I got there. He left and he's passed away now, but he was a, really a great Old Testament scholar, and he said this passage, he says, this is the greatest scene in the Old Testament passed only by the sacrifice of God's Son at Calvary. I mean, this is, this is a foreshadow of the death of Jesus. That's what it is. It's a father sacrificing his son as our Heavenly Father sacrificed his son. I mean, so it's just, it's just the most incredible thing you'll ever see. We're going to look at three things, the offering of Isaac, the death of Sarah, and a bride for Isaac. Now, some of that, it, we're going to go fairly quickly through the last one, and then we'll come back next week and hit a little bit more on that. But let's, let's look at probably one of the most famous passages in the Bible, and we're calling it the offering of Isaac. And it's, it's amazing. As we study this passage, it's going to raise a lot of questions. Let me raise some questions. Does God want a human sacrifice? What about the promised son Isaac? If, if he is the seed... If he is killed, how will the seed come? And how could a father be willing to kill his son? I mean, there's just so many things in here that it's just like we could say this. Did, did God say to Abraham, you will have a son, and his son's name is what? And the Messiah is going to come through Isaac. Is that correct? Is that correct? Okay, so... If we know the passage already, God says, Abraham, kill him. How's that going to work? I mean, how's that going to work? And so we're going to look at it. So let's start. Look at verse 1 of of Genesis 22. It says, Now it came about that after these things that God tested 
Abraham and said to him. Now, nobody likes tests. And this Hebrew word, there's a Greek word that's very similar, not in the different languages, of course, but they have an idea of a test for approval. You know, in reality, when, when you give somebody a test and you say, here's the test, I, I know that all of you are going to do very well, a test for approval. You know, sometimes Satan brings a, there's a Greek word for test that is also translated trial, and it can mean both good or bad. This word here means test for approval. It has that idea. We already know that God never causes people to sin. So the goal of this test to Abraham is not for him to sin, which, you know, you think about it, but you you and I would say, no, wait a minute, I, I don't know if I heard that right. Now, we've talked about already that how does God, how does God talk to Abraham? I mean, what does it say? And it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Where is he? Is he, is he? Does he look like a person? Is it just a voice? Is it some kind of being? Something? What? It doesn't ever tell us. It doesn't tell us anything. So we don't know. But we know that, that Abraham knows this is God, and God is testing him, and he calls out to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. Here, here I am. And that idea there of being I, I am is here I am is mean I'm available. It doesn't just mean I'm, I'm here. Can't you find me? God knows everything. So when he says Abraham and Abraham says here I am, he's actually saying I'm available. What, what do you need? What do you want? Uh, and so, uh, so it's, it's really powerful. So he basically says, I'm ready. What, what do you want me to do? Now, uh, I, I don't think he was expecting this from God. And, and we wouldn't expect it either. And so here's what he says. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now that verse is long. It's huge. And, and what does he actually say? He says, take your son, your only son, basically take your only son to Moriah, Mount Moriah, and sacrifice him. Take him to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. This is the son you what? You love. This is the son you love. And it's, it's in, in the word there is, is oh, let me go back over here. Uh, by the way, how could he say your only son? Isn't that what it says? Doesn't he have another son? By the way, the Hebrew word here has an idea of uniqueness. You know why? This is the son of the what? This is the son of the promise. That's why he's unique. That's why he goes. Do you know when it says, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son? It's the Greek word that means unique son. So it's the same concept. He says, take your unique son. Because we, we know that if he said, take your son, he could say, which one? But he didn't say that. He said, take your son, your unique son, the one that you love, Isaac, he gives the name, says, go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a what kind of offering? A burnt offering. Now, I want to show you something. I don't know if you can see the map very well because it's just, the light is just not. They're down in Beersheba and they've been up in Hebron. They've been all of these places. And he's leaving there and he's going it's about a three-day journey, about 60-something miles, and he's going to Moriah. Moriah, see, it says Jebus. That's where the Jebusites live. That's Jerusalem. Mount Moriah is the mountain that Jerusalem is built on. And Mount Moriah is the mountain that the temple was built on 
all those years later. So Abraham is living about 2,000 years before Christ. When was the temple built? A little under 1,000 years before Christ. So this is 1,000 years before Jerusalem and the temple. And God is telling him to take his son to the exact place where Jesus Christ is going to be sacrificed. That's where he's taking him. He's taking him to Jerusalem. He's taking him to Mount Moriah. That's what he's taking him. And, and he says a burnt offering. Unique. This, is, this word is, and by the way, this is the first mention of love in the Bible. Do you realize that? Your son that you love. And the word burnt offering here. Now let me tell you what a burnt offering was. You would take an animal and you would cut its throat. Blood would come out. You'd put it up. You'd cut pieces, then you'd set it on fire, and you'd burn it completely up until there was nothing left. It was symbolic of you offering a total offering. Like, if you offered a burnt offering, Ed, you'd be, go to God and say, I give you everything. And you would symbolize it by killing this animal and then burning it completely up so there's nothing left of the animal. What kind of, what's he supposed to do to Isaac? Cut his throat and then burn him completely up. I mean, we're not talking about cut his throat and then go bury him somewhere. He's, you're supposed to burn him completely up. What's it symbolic of? Giving everything. Now, you know, if somebody told you to sacrifice your child. Now, we know that the pagans did that. The pagans did that. But I don't think, I mean, if you said to me right now, you have to sacrifice Sarah or Catherine. I mean, I, I'd say, I don't, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't think I can do that. Just, just kill me. Just go ahead and kill me. Because I can't do that. I, I mean, I, and I'm just not, I don't have the faith of Abraham. Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him for what? For righteousness. And Abraham, we're going to see what he did. Because Abraham didn't go. We don't have dialogue here. Like Abraham going, well, you know, I'd like to talk to you about this before we carry this thing out. In fact, what it says is, so Abraham rose up early in the morning. That's the next day. He didn't say, you know, he didn't say, you know, maybe wait a couple of weeks. Maybe he'll change his mind. He, that's not what happened. He gets up the very next day. Now, let me raise this question for you. Does God want human sacrifice? No. The answer is yes. Oh. <laughs> Think about it. Does God want a human sacrifice? The answer is yes. Why? Because the only sacrifice that can pay for people's sin, I mean, see, he doesn't want a, 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 a sinful human sacrifice. Let me ask you something. The wages of sin is what? Death. Death. So we're supposed to die. And can an animal, can the blood of a bull or a goat take away sin? What do they do? They cover sin. So Hebrews 10, 4, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. What's the only sacrifice that could take away a man's sin? A perfect person, a perfect human being. Only, humans, only a human sacrifice can pay for a human sin. It takes a person to pay for a person's sin, and it's got to be a perfect person. There's never been a perfect person except Jesus Christ. So that's why he can be the sacrifice. That's why he can be the one that does. Now, it, what's amazing is God is saying, take your son, your only son, your unique son, the son that you love, the one that I promised you, the one that the Messiah is coming through, and I want you to take him to a place three days journey from here on a mountain, and I want you to kill him. Now, if you were thinking logically here, we're saying, okay, wait a minute. If I go kill Isaac, how will the Messiah come? Because he's already said it's through Isaac. He didn't say it's through Ishmael. He didn't say 
kill Isaac, I'll give you another one. He didn't say that. So what's so what do we think? What do we think? We go, I, I, you know, <coughs> you've got to figure out what in the world could he be thinking. So let's get ready for the trip. Let's see what they do. It is pretty amazing. And um, so, verse 3. So the Abraham arose early in the morning, settled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the what? Split wood for the what? The burnt offering. He's not going to just kill him. He's going to burn him up. And he went to the place which God had told him. So he's leaving. And look, who, look who's going. He's got a donkey, two men, and his son Isaac. He's got men with him. He's not going by himself. He's got a donkey, two guys, and his son. And he's got wood and some other things. Okay? And let's see what happens as they, as they get there. They get a three-day journey. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and he saw the place from a distance. What does he see? What does he see? A mountain. He does. He sees a raised-up high place. I've been on that mountain, by the way. That's Jerusalem. That's the top of the city. Jerusalem is built on Mount Moriah, which is also called Mount Zion. Then there's a valley, and then the other side is called the Mount of Olives. So there's two mountains right there together. Jerusalem sits on, basically, as a whole, the old temple set on Mount Zion or Mount Moriah. So they're going to the place that eventually will be Jerusalem and the big city. That's what they're going to. It's a three-day journey. And so, uh, here, here we go. And so, who went with Abraham? I got down there for you on your little deal. Who went with Abraham? It was the two men and uh, his son. And so they get there in verse 4. Uh, it says, And on the third day they raised his eyes and he saw the place. And this is at Mount Moriah. In Second Chronicles chapter, chapter Chronicles 3, verse 1, On the top of Mount Moriah, Solomon built the temple at that place. You understand, where they're going to sacrifice Isaac is the same place the temple was built. Amazing. Did Solomon know it at the time when he built the temple? That God told him to build Well, no, they've always known that the tabernacle had been placed there. Remember, they bought that little part of the land, and then that was the tabernacle, and they built the temple on top of that. Yeah, so, but it's been, the, it's been always been that place. So, watch what happens. Let's see some... Instructions. Look at verse 5. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad, <laughs> the lad, will go over there, and we will worship, and literally in the Hebrew it says, and we will return to you. We. He didn't say, the lad and I will worship, and I will return to you. It doesn't say that. It says, we will return to you. Here's what it says. Stay here. We go. We worship. We return. It's all plural. It's all plural. So I just want you to know in the Hebrew, it's all plural. We will go. We will worship. We will return. Now let me ask you a question. How old, how old do you think Isaac is at this time? You think he, you, some people say, well, he may be four or five. Well, he's carrying the wood. Okay, I mean... He's not a little boy. He, he's probably a teenager. He could be 12, 13, 14. He could even be 15. He could be. Do you think he could outrun Abraham? How old is Abraham? He's probably 114, right? If, 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 if Isaac is 14, Abraham is what? 114. Do you think if Isaac does not want to be sacrificed, that Abraham could sacrifice him? No. I mean... He could just run away, or he could fight off Abraham. I mean, he could just say, you're not putting me up there. I'm not getting up there. So let me tell you, it tells you a lot about Isaac. 
Because we're going to see that Isaac crawls up on that thing and is ready to die. And so when we talk about the faith of Abraham, we've got we, we to talk a little bit about, about Isaac as well. And so what happens? How, how could Abraham... Now, think about this. So they're going to go up there, and they're going to worship, and they're going to come back. How could Abraham sacrifice Isaac? And how could God keep his word and let Isaac die? How is this possible? Well, in Hebrews chapter 11... 17, 18, and 19, it actually says Abraham knew that when he killed Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. So it says, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17, 18, 19, Abraham knew that God would raise Isaac from the dead. Now he's saying this. God says the Messiah comes through Isaac. God says, kill Isaac. So I will kill him, and God will what? Raise him. That's exactly what he thinks. Do you and I believe God's promises that much? Think about it. Yeah. You know, I think it's amazing that the Abraham we've been studying the last couple of times, how twice... He made the, the same error. He didn't trust God. And here, all of a sudden, he is trusting God. Something yeah. happened. Yeah. Well, I, I think that what we see is, is as Abraham is maturing and growing, but, I mean, he trusted God to leave the earth of the Chaldees. He trusted God to let Lot have the right kind of land. He's trusted God uh, in, in every aspect. Then he's made mistakes because everybody messes up. But this is the big one. This is the one where God says, okay, now, let's see if you really trust me. Let's see how you're going to do. Sacrifice your son. And, and Abraham says, okay, God made a promise. Messiah through this son. God says, kill this son. So I will kill, and God has to raise. He has to. There's no other way, right? Okay. So, wow. Once again, uh, Isaac is a type of Christ. Death and resurrection. Because, see, that's what's supposed to happen. Death and resurrection. And so, let's see what happens. And I think my handout, let me get the right page. So, as they're going up there, what, what does, what's, what's Isaac going to do? And then, Think about Isaac. You're there with your daddy, and you don't know. He hasn't told you anything. You just know you're going. In fact, you think maybe this is a good getaway. This may be like a picnic or something. Who knows what you're going to do with your dad? And, uh, I mean, and, and so your dad's got two of his servants, and then all you know is your daddy told these people, we're going to go up there, we're going to worship, and we're coming back. So you don't, you don't have a clue what's going on. He didn't say, oh, by the way, son, I, I forgot to tell you. He didn't say that. So watch what happens. Verse 6. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took his hand in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked together. Now, why do they, what do they need? What, they've got wood, fire, and what? A knife. The knife is to kill him. The wood is to put the sun on, of course. And the fire is to burn it all up. So that's the plan. Now you can see Isaac going like this. And he's beginning to think for a second. Like, okay, we're going to go worship, which means what? We're going to offer what? A sacrifice. And so I see the wood, and I see the knife, and I see the fire. Uh, where's the animal? Where's the sacrifice? And that's what he does. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, Hey, my father. And the father said, Here I am, son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood and everything, but 
where is the lamb for the burnt offering? That's what he's asking. Where's the lamb? Because that's, that's what you do if you go, you sacrifice what? Animals. And so that's what he asked. And look what Abraham says. He says, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. What do you think he meant by that? What do you think he meant by that? God will provide. Who does Abraham think the sacrificial lamb is? I think so. I think it's exactly what he thinks. And he says, God will provide the lamb. And so they walked together. When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and he arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I've got there on your little hand that it says, what do, you, what do we see, or where do, where do we see the faith of Isaac? Where do we see the faith of Isaac? I mean, he could outrun his father, couldn't he? If he had to. He could outrun his father. Uh, he, could, he could do just about anything he wanted to do. And let me tell you what he does. His daddy says, oh, hold up, son, I need, to, I need to tie your arms and your legs together. I need to get you up on the wood. I think he's saying, I think I'm the sacrifice. Do you think he could have rolled around, got off, and ran off? I think he could have. I think he lays down. I think, he said, I think he's saying, I don't know what's going on, but I have to do what? I have to trust God. Look at the, I don't think, you, can you see this picture? If somebody wants to, turn out the light to the back for just a second. I don't want anybody to see. that This picture is pretty much amazing to me. It's a great one. Look at that. That's the boy, of course, laying down, ready to die. He's bound. There's the wood. There's the knife. There's Abraham reaching up, basically, to say, Lord, I don't understand this, but I'm ready to sacrifice my son. Okay, you can turn it back on. I mean, this to me is an amazing picture that we found. And, and uh, it, basically, he's probably, he probably said to his son, Son, God says you're to be the sacrifice. And God will raise you from the dead. And we must obey. So not only does Abraham going to have to believe it, guess who else is going to have to believe it? Isaac's going to have to believe it. I mean, I, I just... I, when we think about these people... Uh, I, I remember reading a story, and it, I almost cry every time I think about it, but there were um, a brother and a sister, and like he was a little bit older than his sister, and she uh, she got some kind of sickness, and they had to do uh, some change blood, get some blood, and they found out that the brother was a perfect match, so they said to him, they said, uh, Billy, your sister is real sick, and so we're going to have to take your blood and give it to her and that'll help her get well. And he said, would you do that for her? And he went, uh-huh. So they put them, on, put them side by side and they were doing that. And he waved at his dad and he said, Daddy, when do I die? He didn't understand. He thought by giving his blood he was going to die, but he was willing to do that for his sister. And think about this. Abraham is going, I hope this is a bad dream. And Isaac is saying, I hope this is a bad dream. <laughs> and, and, and look, look what happens. It's just to me, this is amazing. He's ready to cut the throat, ready to cut the throat. Look what it says. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And you hear Abraham say, here I am. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening. And he says, don't do it. When I say the angel, this is the angel of the Lord. And let me tell you this, the way it's written in Hebrew, most people believe that the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate Christ. 
And so, once again, this is like when God appeared to Abraham in front of the tent. This is maybe God coming again and saying, Abraham, here I am. Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Oh, my gosh. That, to me, is just beyond comprehension. And he's the the here's the great truth. God says, you got to stop, because the that's not the perfect sacrifice. The perfect sacrifice is coming in about a thousand years or two thousand years. Two thousand years from Abraham will the perfect sacrifice come. And then look what it says. And uh, and Abraham looked and he raised and, and he looked and behold a ram was caught in the thicket by the horns and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Look at there, there's the ram caught in the thicket right there. Think about what's the chances out there that all of a sudden this ram is going to be caught in a thicket for the sacrifice. God says we're going to have a sacrifice this day, it's just not going to be your son. And God had the substitute. And realize this, that, that God has a substitute for us. You know what? You know what God says? God actually says, guess what? Every one of us in this room, you're going to die. You're supposed to be sacrificed. You're supposed to die. You're supposed to be separated from me forever because you've all what? Sin, and you've come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is what? Death, and so you're all supposed to die. And we go, what? And then he says, but I have a substitute, and the substitute is Jesus Christ. And he will die in our place. We have sinned and owe God death and separation, but there is a substitute for us, and that is our Savior Jesus Christ. God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. For God has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And so the bottom line is Jesus Christ died for us. And I love this. Look at this next thing. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide as it said to this day in the mountain of the lord it will be provided the lord will provide he named the place lord will provide we know it is mount moriah mount zion but that particular place was called the lord will provide by the way it's what we often say is jehovah jireh or sometimes yahweh jireh jireh means provide yahweh jehovah is god so god provides god is the provider and by the way he is the provider on everything everything that's ever happened for us He's done it. The Lord will provide. You ever thought about sometimes lives, our lives are up and down? And you know, you made a good point because sometimes Abraham looks like he's doing so good and sometimes it looks like he's doing so bad. And if you look at our lives, or sometimes we're doing pretty good and sometimes we're doing what? Pretty bad. And and we could look at our own lives. And Now, we're not... I, I, I hope none of us are ever tested like Abraham was tested. Now, Abraham is one of the most unique men that's ever lived. Because God chose him out of nowhere and said, I will make the most important people group in the world through you. The Messiah will come through you. The Bible will come through you. The people group we know as the Jews are coming through. Abraham is an amazing person. Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to Judah, Judah on to David, David on to Christ. I mean, there, there is the, the, the flow and the pattern. And so Abraham, when we think about Abraham, uh, when we see him one day, we're going to go, you, you were amazing. I, went, I, I don't know how you did it. And he'll just say, well, I, I had to trust God. 
You know what amazes me, and I just wanted to throw this out. I mean, we're gonna, we won't get to it in our study, but you get on up to the next book, and you got Moses, and you got all the miracles and all the stuff that they did, and parting the Red Sea, and they get to the other side, and they saw the ten plagues, and the parting the Red Sea, and the drowning of the army, and the food, and, and what do they do? They gripe. Does God provide everything we've ever ever needed and ever wanted? Doesn't He always take care of us one way or the other? And what do we do? I can't believe this. It's got to be better than this, you know. And you're going, what's better than this? I mean, it's just, that's just the way we are. I, I tell you, one day we get to see Abraham, I'm going to go, you were amazing. You were amazing. Well, let's see the death of Sarah. This is going to be sad. Isn't it sad? They've been together a long time. I mean, we, know, we don't know when they got married, but they left there at 75 together, and now they're oh, way over 100 together. So, I mean, we've known they've been together closer to 50 years just at this stage of their lives. She's a, I think she's going to be 127 when she dies. So that means how old is Abraham when she dies? 137, yeah. And so here's the death of Sarah. I've got Sarah is 127 years old when she dies, and she's the companion of Abraham, and he has come through some great times. They've done some great things. Look at chapter 23. Now, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah, and Sarah died in Kerith Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. I mean, it's, it's just sad. I mean, just a sad, sad thing. So she lived 127 years. She she died in Hebron. Let me show you the map. I hope you can see it. But <clears throat> this is Hebron, and this is the place called Machpelah. And remember the cave of the the cave of oh, the oaks of Mamre and the caves of Machpelah are all of this land that Abraham is up and down and by a lot, and he lives at Hebron, and he sometimes go a little different places. And and so she dies right there. And what's he going to do? I mean, she died. I mean, this is, you know, he's going to, well, and so how old was Sarah? What is the problem for Abraham? Because here, here's what we see. She was a special woman. Listen, when we get to heaven, you know what we're going to say to Sarah? I can't believe you're 90-something years old and you're still really that good looking because, I mean, all those kings wanted you. And, I mean, she, Abraham was called the father of all who believe, but she's the mother of all who believe. And the book of Hebrews says that by faith she trusted God that she would have a child at 90 years old. So Abraham has gone to weep. And by the way, death, death comes to all. I mean, there, how many people do you know have not died physically? Hmm? Who? Wait, Enoch walked with God and he didn't die. Anybody else? Elijah? Can you think of anybody else? I mean, I can't. I mean, it's appointed a man to what? To die, and after that, the judgment. So when we say, oh, it's so sad that Sarah died. Listen, if time goes by enough, every one of us in this room are going to die. Some of us faster than others. I mean, that's, some of us older than others. You know, And so it's coming. And in Adam all die, but in Christ all are made alive because he is the one who has conquered death. I think one of the great things, when you think about death, and uh, as a pastor, I've done like 300, wedding, uh, three, 300 weddings, but I've done like 120 funerals. And when you think about a funeral, uh, there's death, but there's a great truth. Jesus Christ has conquered death. Every human being will be raised from the dead. Now, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you'll be raised from the dead to spend eternity with Christ. That's called eternal life. If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, you'll be raised from the dead to spend eternity separated in Him. That's called the second death or the lake of fire. 
every human, Jesus has conquered death. Death is not the end. And when I do funerals, I mean, I can flat out say, I usually use First Thessalonians, but I tell them that Jesus Christ has conquered death. Death is not the end for anyone. This, when a person dies, that's not the end. You know, that's really just the beginning. So when Sarah dies, it's a, it's a really sad thing. But let's see what Abraham tries to do. Look at verse 3. Abraham rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heath. That's people around him. He says, look, I'm a stranger and soldier among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Now, he's got a problem, and the problem is there's no place to bury Sarah. How much of this land does Abraham own? No. I mean, it belongs to him, but how much of it does he own? He owns absolutely none. He says, he says I'm a stranger and a soldier, and I'm, I'm just kind of passing through. We already know that God has promised and, you know, here's what's amazing. If you notice that God promised the land to who? To his, you said it exactly right. To Abraham's descendants. He actually didn't promise it directly to Abraham because best we can tell, Abraham only owned in his whole life something he's going to buy in just a few minutes. That's all he ever owned. And yet, he's looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. That's Hebrews 11. I mean, it's just just amazing. And so here, here's here's what happens. And uh, so what was the problem? He, he, didn't have, he didn't have a place to bury. So when he goes and talks to the people and says, I need a place to bury, he says he's a stranger and a sojourner, and Abraham knew that the land, he knew the land was given to him and to his descendants, but he didn't own any of it. And so he's, he's thinking, what in the world am I going to be able to do? Um, we talked about it a while ago, but death is just an introduction into the life to come. I mean, Peter Marshall wrote this. He said, uh, let's don't fall in love with the things of this world because uh, they don't last forever. The eternity lasts forever with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, lay up treasure in heaven. And so we see Abraham's re request, and it's tied into the promise. He says, give me some place. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of sight. So the sons of Heath answered him and said, Oh, here is uh, my Lord. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our graves. None of us will refuse you in his grave for burying your dead. Now this, this is... This is pretty, he basically says, give me a burial place to bury Sarah. Give, which means let me buy it. He's not asking for it. And they say, they, and they, they look at him and they say, uh, You're a mighty man. Because when you think of Abraham, remember, he had 315 fighting men. I mean, he's not just a guy in a tent. He's got a huge organization. <laughs> I mean, he's big time. And when they see Abraham coming, they go, oh, here comes that guy. You know, he's rich, he's big, and he's powerful. And they said, you're a, you're a mighty man among us, and you can have any place you want. You know what they're actually offering? They're offering him a place to bury the dead. They're offering it to him. Notice it says, bury your dead in the choices of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. They're basically saying, we'll give you, we'll give you this. The problem is he wouldn't have the own land. Abraham would have basically a rented grave. That's, what he, that's basically what it is. You can use our grave. You can just bury your, your, your wife in, in one of our graves. But that's not what he wants. He wants a place to bury her. And so, watch what happens, verse 7. So Abraham rose and he bowed to the people of the land. He said, if it's your wish for me to bury my dead out of sight, hear me and approach Ephron, the son of Zophar, from me. He may give me the cave of Machpelah. 
which he owns, which is at the end of a field, for the full price, let him give it to me in the presence of a real sight. Now, when he says give it to me, he's not saying give it to me. He's saying for the full price, I will buy. I, there's a cave at the end of a field, and I would like to buy the cave at the end of the field. Now, here's a painting by Vincent Van Gogh, which is supposed to be the cave of Macpila. And I don't know, if, can you see it okay? Does it, can you see it, or do we need to turn the light out? Yes or no? Can you see it? Okay, I mean, this is a cave. There it is. It is at the end of the field. That's that's probably the Oaks of Mamre. That's the guy that had the... Because somebody would say, where do you live? He said, you know where the Oaks are? That, that, uh, Mamre's Oaks, that's his land. Well, that's it. Well, Zophar owns this, this part right here. And so he actually says, I'd like to buy that cave. And we're going to see they get kind of in a... In a, in a little match about it because the guy says, well, okay, yeah, we can do that. And look, look on down. Ephraim was sitting, verse 10, among the sons of Heath, and Ephraim the Hittite answered to Abraham in the hearing, and he said, verse 11, oh, no, my Lord, I'll give you the field. I'll give you the cave that's in it. In the presence of my sons, of my people, i give it to you. Bury your dead. What's he saying? You don't have to pay for it. I'll just give it to you. And you can have the entire field and the cave. Does Abraham want the field? No, he wants the cave. And he doesn't want it given to him. You know why? Because he offers to give it to Abraham, but Abraham doesn't take the gift. You know why? Because Abraham wanted to all to know that God is the one who made Abraham rich. We're going to see it all the way through. Who blesses Abraham all the way through? Who blesses Isaac all the way through? Who blesses Jacob all the way through? Every time something comes up, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all say to people around them, no, 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 don't give me anything. Because they want it to be known that the only way they have anything is that God gives it to them. Look down at verse 14. And so uh, he says, bury your dead. Abraham bowed low when he spoke to Ephraim. This is verse 13. If you'll only please listen to me, I'll give you the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my bed there. Then Ephraim answered Abraham said, oh, my Lord, listen to me. A piece of land, well, it's only worth, oh, 400 shekels of silver. But what's that between me and you? By the way, that's a huge price. That'd be like you have this house that's worth 150000 and Abraham comes to him and says, I'd like to buy that house. Like, oh, yeah, we, I'll give it to you. No, no, let me, oh, what's it to us? 500000 for that house? Just take it. I mean, he charged Abraham a huge price for this field, for this cave. But Abraham never bats an eye. Abraham listened to Ephraim, and Abraham weighed out for Ephraim the silver, which he had named in the hearing of the sons, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. Just want you to know that it's all on the up and up, and uh, it was, it was, it was it. You know what Abraham know? Abraham knew that all this land would belong to his descendants, and so they buried Sarah. They buried her there. She's buried. That's the cave again, and, and uh, she's buried in the promised land. She's buried in the promised land. That I, I, I like the. That, that's a good drawing. I've. I've um, I've looked at some different things. There's, there's the cave of, of Macpila still there. So that's, a, that's an actual painting that Van Gogh did of the cave of Macpila. Now, if Isaac is going to have the child through which the Messiah is coming, right? How's he going to do that? He's got to get married. Exactly. And he's getting a little older already. Okay. Uh, and so he's going to have to get a bride. And so we're going to... age? Back then. 15 or so? 
I, well, the normal age sometimes for men was as old as 17 or 18, and girls were as old as 13, 14, 15. Sometimes when a girl got 19 or 20, that that was not a good thing. I mean, it was like, what happened? You know, somebody, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. I mean, we gotta we got to get her hooked up somehow because, yeah, they married younger. They married younger. But you're going to see that, that Isaac is older. He's, he's, I think he's 47 years old. Yeah, he, he's older. But think about Abraham. I mean, he was 75 when he even found out he was going to have kids, and he was 100 when he actually had his first real kid. I mean, you know, 86 the other way. But let's, let's see what happens. Look at chapter 24. We're going to go uh, fairly quickly through this. Now, Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. And so Abraham said to his servants, his oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, and he said, place your hand under my thigh. Now you go, what are you talking about? It, we're here that, that uh, Abraham, Isaac was 40 years old when he got the bride, so that means Abraham was 140. So it says Abraham was advanced in age, and we're going to find out that, that uh, uh, he, he brings in his servant. And he says to him, place your hand under my thigh. What in the world? In that time, certain times, if you put your hand under the guy's thigh, you were basically saying, I, I swear I'll, I'll keep my oath. It was a way of saying, I keep my oath. And he said, place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. Why is he saying that to his servant? Now, who is this servant anyway? What, what's going on? By the way, he's never named. We don't know his name. He's a servant. He's a steward. He's the one who oversees somebody else's property. Let me tell you, as far as Abraham's household was concerned, this was the top dog in the household. He was not a son, but he was a servant. He was a steward. He was wise. He ran the entire household, which you've got to remember is gigantic. And so Abraham says, I want you to come here and make an oath. Put your hand up under my thigh. And I want you to swear that we will, that you will not take a, a wife from these people. They're, who are the people in the neighborhood? Who are they? What are they called? Canaanites. Canaanites. And he says, I don't want them to take a bride from the Canaanites. Now, why is Abraham telling this guy? He's going to send him to find the wife. Huh? Well, why is this guy going to find the wife? Does Abraham, does Abraham, is, how old is Abraham? He's 140 years old. Yeah, well, it, and it could even be that Abraham says, you know, I don't know how much longer I'm going to live, but if I don't live, if I'm gone, make sure my son does not get one of these Canaanite women because they're pagan. I mean, they are. He said, don't, I don't want that. So I want you to swear that you'll do that. Then he gives him some, some information. He gives a request, and here's what he wants him to do. Notice, he says, but I want you to go to my country and to my relatives, and take a wife for my son Isaac. So now he gets real specific. And so he, he, that's the oath. He says, go up to my country, the Earl of Chaldees. If you remember, now here's the map, and I want you to remember, they've come all down here. Originally, Abraham, let me show you, he's not on the map, but originally Abraham was down here in the Earl of the Chaldees. They went all the way up to Haran, and his father died. And when his father died, Abraham took Sarah and Lot, and they came all the way down to here, and they've been up and back and up and back and up and back. Now, I can't, I'm just looking at, this is where they're living right now. At Hebron, he's going to say, servant, leave here and go all the way back to here and find a bride 
for my son. And he wants it to be some of his relatives. He wants it to be from his family. Now, <clears throat> who's back there? Anybody know? Well, remember, there was Haran was back there. His father died already, so Abraham's father's died. So that's why that place was called Haran, because Haran was there. So his request is to go back and find a bride. Why did Abraham, what did Abraham say about taking his son back to Nahor? He says this, notice, if the servant said, suppose this woman's not willing to go. He says, what if I get there and a woman, I say, oh, you need to come back and marry my master's son. And she says, no. And then he says, okay. Abraham says, Be what, don't take him. He says, shall I come back and get your son and then we go? Because what if I get up there and she says no, and I, do I need to come back, get Isaac and say, you're going to have to go with me because I can't get her to come without you. And he, you know, and he says, no, no, do not take him there. Do not take him there. And so that's what he actually says. him. So don't take him there. He's going to go find him. Don't take my son back there to find a wife. And because, see, this, that's not the promised land. This is the promised land. Oh, so back, yeah, he might never come back. And <clears throat> every time Abraham leaves the promised land, what happens to him? He gets in trouble every time. So he's basically saying, don't, don't take my son out of here. And so let's see what happens. And we'll go fairly quickly through this part. So he makes the oath again in verse 8. He said, but if the woman's not willing to follow you, then you'll free from the oath. Only do not take my son there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So it's set. He's ready to go. Now, just think about this. Uh, what if you were, let me ask you a question. What if you were this servant and you knew this was going to be in the Bible? You know what you could say? How come, how come my name's not mentioned, right? <laughs> You know why? It's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Because it's going to come and get the bride for Isaac. And it's pretty unique and it's pretty special. So let's look and let's see what happens. Uh, by the way, he's got to trust God, right? Trust the Lord of your heart. Lean not on your understanding. All your ways direct. You know, all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your paths. The Proverbs three, five, and six. He's got to trust God. And by the way, I wanted to throw this out about God's will. And we've got just a few minutes, so I can talk about this. Some of you have have. Uh, we did a grow group. We talked about knowing God's will. I've done different courses on it and different things. When you talk about God's will, people are so confused. And let me just say, there's the sovereign will of God, the specific will of God, and the general will of God. Let me remind you of some things. The sovereign will of God is that God has purposed all things according to the counsel of His will, and the sovereign will of God will happen. We don't know what it is. Now, in some places, he's actually told us what he's going to do. He's told us he's going to come get us, and there's going to be a seven-year tribulation. He's going to come back, and he's going to set up a thousand-year reign. and all. So he's told us some things. But as far as the sovereign will, even for our lives, he hasn't told us what tomorrow's going to be, or the next day is going to be, or what, what he wants. So, but the sovereign will of God will always be accomplished. Okay. Second, there's what we call the specific will of God. And he's told the specific will of God, and that is the Word of God. And if you said, I want to know what God has for me to do, where would you go? To the Bible, to the Word of God. The Word of God tells us what to do. It says to don't lie, to don't cheat, to, to walk worthy of the calling. It tells us to, to love one. I mean, it has all of the commands, all the things. So there are all kind of things in the Bible that is what we call the specific will of God. And if somebody says, I, can you know the specific will of God? Yes, you can. It's found where? In the Bible. The third one is what I call the general will of God. And the general will of God is that God gives us great freedom. And the general will of God is choices that you can make. And let me just say it this way. 
if you do not have direct revelation from God, which is the Bible, and you have a choice to make, you have freedom to make what we call wise choices. Now, are there things that are right and wrong? Where do we find that? The Bible. Let's say this. Let's say, I'm just going to make this up. Let's say you have a choice. Somebody said, would you take this job or this job? And you have the freedom to choose either one. Is it a right or wrong question? Do you have biblical revelation that tells you which job to take? No, you don't. You have freedom to make any choice you want to make. The Bible talks about it. Paul even says, we thought it best to do something because he didn't have direct revelation. Sometimes he had direct revelation. One time he had direct revelation that says, come to Macedonia. So he went, I'll go to Macedonia. One time it said, you cannot go to Bithynia. He said, okay, I can't go to Bithynia. But in other places where he said he didn't, he didn't have revelation, he said, I thought it best to do this. And so sometimes people get hung up and they'll say, I've got this job offer and I don't know whether to take it or not. And they say, I just want God to tell me. Well, first of all, sovereign will of God is going to be happen, but he didn't tell us sovereign will. Second is the specific will. Taking that job's not in the Bible. There is no specific will. That, now, if it says this, this is to making pornographic movies, then you already know that's wrong. So you're not taking that job. But we're talking about just a regular job. And you say, should I take that movie or not? Uh, take that job or not? Well, the specific will of God is not there. So the general will says what? We basically say you have the wise, you make wise choices. That's why it says redeem the time, make the most of your time. And so now. We're going to find that God has said, Abraham said, I want you to go find me somebody for my son. He doesn't have a whole lot of instructions except to go back, find some relatives, and see if he can find somebody that would be the right one. So let's see what he does. Okay, so verse 12, it says, <clears throat> He's got ready to leave. Camels came out. He, he made it all the way to the, to the city of Nahor. And he came, he, he, in verse 11, he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of the water at evening time and the time when women came out to draw water. He said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. What is he asking for? Give me success. Let me find the right girl for Isaac. And so here's... Now, he's doing something a little bit unusual. Now, remember, the, the, the times are different at this time than they are at our time, but look what he says. He says, Behold, I'm standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city coming out to draw. When do they come out to draw? In the evening. Early in the morning, early in the evening. Why? It's cooler, and they all come out together. Do you remember the woman at the well that was by herself? Do you know what time that was? That was the middle of the day. And the reason she was out there by herself is no other women be out there with her because she already had five husbands. The one she was living with wasn't her husband. And so she was kind of the outcast. And so all the women are coming out, and he's thinking, wonder which one. And you could almost see Isaac. You know, he left. So they, Isaac knows what he's doing. He's gone to get him a bride. You could see Isaac saying, get a pretty one. Get a, you know, find somebody pretty or something. You know, good gracious. You know. So here's the servant. Watch what he says. Behold, I'm standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be, look what he does, may it be the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac, and by this I'll know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. He has a little test. 
He says, here's what I'm going to do. When, when, the, when they come out, I'm going to say to the girl, I'm, gonna, I'm asking you for a sign, and I'm going to say, when the women come out, I'm going to ask a girl, let me drink, and she's going to say, yeah, you can drink, and also I will water your camels. Now, that's not very easy, because watering a whole bunch of camels is a big job. I mean, you can see some girl going, yeah, you're going to have some of my water, but for me to sit here and water all your camels? So he says, this will be sort of the test. Who's going to do it? So guess who's coming out? Guess who's coming out? Before he had finished speaking, behold, verse 15, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother. This is his relatives. Nahor, but Abraham's, this is the wife of Abraham's, you know, came out with a jar on her shoulder. You can just see her coming out, big old jar. Coming out to get the water, that's what they did. The girl was very beautiful and a virgin, and no man had relations with her, and she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Now she's, you know, she's what we're looking for, right? Abraham's relative, beautiful virgin. I mean, she's just the one that some, somebody like Isaac needs. And so it says this. Then the servant ran to meet her, and he said, What's the, what's the signal? Give me some water, and, and give me some water, and then we're going to see what she says back to him. So the servant ran to meet her and said, Would you please give me a drink of water from your jar? And she said, Drink, my lord. And quickly lowered the jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now when he had, she had finished giving him the drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they're finished drinking. Wow, I'll get water for your camels also. Wow, that's what? That's the sign. That's it. This is the one. You could almost see him about to go, oh my gracious, this is, this is the one. So she quickly emptied the jar in the trough, ran back to the well to draw water for the camels. Meanwhile, the man was grazing herself, knowing. Now he says, now here's the, here's the ultimate test. Who's she got to be related to? Abraham. So he said, I'm, I'm looking like this is going to be good. He says, meanwhile, the man gazing at her inside, know whether the Lord had made the journey successful or not. So when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring, weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for a wrist, and he's going to give them to her. And he, by the way, he said, Who, whose daughter are you? Please tell me. And is there a place for me to lodge? She said, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who, born, who she born to Nahor. Who is Nahor? Abraham's brother, yeah, or, yeah, they're all connected. And so he says, I'm, I'm the relative of Abraham. And he, boy, this, this is amazing. So what does he do? He worships God. Look what he does. And, and so she said to him, I'm him, I'll go get your candle. And the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. Why did he worship God? God answered his prayer. You know, oftentimes God has got him directing God's sovereignty at the right, put him at the right place at the right time. Too often, we forget to thank God when we see the answers to our prayers. It's just amazing. Now, we're just getting started on this because he hadn't even talked to anybody yet. But what did he give her? Some pretty expensive stuff. Now, she's gonna, you know what she's going to do? What would you do if you were a young girl and a person came to you and gave you this stuff? Huh? Uh, well, I'd put them on for sure. Yeah, I'd put them on and say, thank you very much. And then you go what? You're going to go back to you and say, Mama, look at this. And she happens to have a brother. His name is Laban. And we're going to see Laban. Now watch what happens. Verse 28, the girl ran home and told her mother's household about these things. And Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran outside to meet the man. You know why Laban ran outside to meet the man? Why do you think he went outside to meet the man? Huh? He says, so this guy got some money because he just gave my sister a whole bunch of rings and stuff and bracelets and 
So I'm going to go out and see who this guy is. And he goes out and he saw the ring. Look, notice verse 30, when he saw the rings and the bracelets on his sister's wrist and when he heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, say, this is what the man said to me. He went to the man and he was standing by the camels and he said, come on in, blessed to the Lord. Why are you standing outside? I prepared the house and a place for your camels. And so that's where we're going to start, stop, because this man, this is a sexual thing. She went and told her mother, Laban has an eye for possessions. Now we're going to meet Laban again. And Laban is, he is a, um, let's put it this way, he's a con man. And we'll find out a little bit more about him later. So it, it's amazing, great stuff. So who is Rebecca? Where did Rebecca go? Went to her mother. Who is Laban? It's going to be uh, her brother. And we'll see what happens. It's time for a decision. Well, next time we're going to see. Let me, let me tell you this. You know what they're going to do? He's going to sit there and they're going to say, we want you to spend the night, have a great time, and then we can talk tomorrow. And he said, no, we can't talk tomorrow. We've got to talk tonight. Here's why I came. Here's what I have to know. And he flat out says, she's supposed to, my, I, have a, I have a master who's Abraham, who's just relative, and this is, he's got a son. His son is older. He needs a bride. She's the bride, and we want her to come. And they just go, okay. And you know what they did? They look at her and say, will you go? What does she say? I'll go. She doesn't know anybody. She doesn't know him. She's fixing to go 500 miles and, and marry somebody she's never seen, never known, know anything about it. All she knows is somehow maybe a cousin or a relative or something. And then we're going to see next week when it's time for her to go, they don't want her to go. They say something like, let's wait 10 days. And he goes, no, we're not going to wait. And they go, I think we're going to wait. And he goes, no, we're not going to wait. And we'll see what happens next week when we get to this. All right, let me give you some applications. Okay, first of all, we've got to obey the Word of God. Let's trust Him. Uh, clear commands. Wow. Uh, sacrifice your son. That's a clear command. We've got to obey God. We've got to trust Him in, in the commands of the Bible. And I think it's so amazing that we have the Bible, and for many of us, we don't even know it. We don't even know what it says. We don't know how it fits together. We don't know what God says. And so we, we've got to dig the Word. We've got to dig it. The second one is, let's realize that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice that brings salvation. Isaac was not the sacrifice to bring salvation. In fact, he wasn't the sacrifice at all. And those animals were not sacrifices that bring salvation. Those animals just covered it up. I mean, bottom line, Jesus Christ, only in Christ is their salvation. John fourteen six. he's the what? The way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And that's the way it is. And Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what... That picture in Genesis 22 is a picture of our Savior. And just the third thing is realize this. Realize that God is sovereign and working in all the events of our lives. Now let me tell you, God works. You have choices, and you have freedom to make choices. And, and I've had people say, well, God is sovereign. That means uh, whatever He wants you to do, you're going to do. Well, it's a, it's a truth that God is a sovereign plan for all things. But you're accountable for every choice you make. God doesn't say, I made you sin, right? So we have, we have freedom to choose. 
And we get to choose and make wise choices. We get to obey God, and we get to make wise choices. Realize that God is sovereignly working in all the events of our Lord. And then last but not least, let's trust God as we make decisions. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That's what, that's what the servant had to do. He had to trust God as he went there, as he got there, as he looked out, as he saw the people coming, he saw her, as he goes to the family, as he makes the questions. And it's the same thing for us. We have to trust him day in.